The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we are speaking with Dane Cruz and Ari Mack, colleagues in organizational development and effectiveness at Cornell. We talk with them about the intergenerational workforce of today. We'll discuss the challenges and opportunities this presents in our own experiences, as well as in the workplace. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Sambu-Chase. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Well, hello and welcome, Dean and Ari. So good to have you both with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. So love to have you each sort of introduce yourselves, what pronouns you use, and what you do here at Cornell. Uh, my name is Dane Cruz. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm the director of Cornell Interactive Theater Ensemble, and I'm also a team member at Organizational Development and Effectiveness. And my name is Ari Mack. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm an organizational development consultant also with Organizational Development and Effectiveness. We're so excited to have you both here. Um, and as we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your professional journey? What's led you here to Cornell and kind of the path that you've taken once you've been here? Yeah, I can start with that one. Um, so I've been at Cornell for about six years now, I guess. But I really kind of started, my interests have always been in the world of psychology. And so, um, you know, I was originally on the clinical psychology track back in school and realized that I kind of attached more towards the uh, business side of it. So doing a little bit of industrial organizational psychology or business psychology. Um, and then I kind of found my way here and tricked them all into liking me enough to stay. So. <laughs> Have you been in organizational development the whole time you've been here? Yep, the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Well, as a, as a former psychology major myself, <laughs> uh, that's pretty neat. I had no idea that had yeah. been your major. Yep. Okay. And ironically, I also was a psychology yeah. major. Oh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and took a very similar path, started out in clinical and went to industrial organizational psych and then kind of led to where I am today. Hey, so it's kind of neat. Great minds, right? Well, I'm going to be the outlier here. <laughs> <laughs> My training is in theater. And um, I started at Cornell technically 28 years ago. Wow. Um, and I started working with Cornell Interactive Theater Ensemble in 1995. And so that journey has been interesting because it's unfolded. I started as a temp, then moved into a full-time employee. Um, and then here I am, you know, 28 years later as the director. So it's really been wonderful. We've had many homes, and I think organizational development and effectiveness feels like the one that feels really right um, because it's the training area and we use theater to do training. And so what I think we have in common with all of you uh, folks who were psychology majors, is that um, really the work focuses on workplace dynamics and human behavior and ways to engage with each other so that we better understand each other and how we can work together. I appreciate you clarifying that that's how the theater ensemble is sort of being used at Cornell for training purposes. And Can you say more about what type of training? I mean, are you training other actors? Because if you are, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we actually work with a lot of adjunct actors, and so there's always that possibility, Aaron. <laughs> so um, we do a lot of work on um, unconscious bias and how that impacts 
hiring, for example. I would say that that in the last, um, especially five years, although we've been probably doing it for about 11, it's really been a focus of people who are going to be serving on search committees. It's a way to engage around the ways that we all have unconscious bias and how we can interrupt it. Um, Also focus on sexual harassment, having difficult conversations, and really raising awareness about how we act and respond in those moments that maybe don't serve us or what someone else's experience is like. And so that's another uh, place I feel like we work really hard to engage is representing a number of experiences in the workplace and really helping people familiarize themselves with the ways that maybe they discount someone else's experience so that we can create more identification and empathy. Very good point. Thank you for clarifying that. Ari, what type of consultations do you do in in your line of work? Yeah, um, I feel so lucky. I get to do all kinds of things, but I definitely kind of tend to specialize in things like emotional intelligence and team building, um, culture building and culture shifting. I do a lot with engagement, motivation, um, process improvement and strategic planning. Those kind of tend to be where I gravitate. Interesting. So I've been here six years, and Dane's been here 28 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So clearly, um, you each represent sort of a generation in our workforce. And probably across all of us, we might all represent a different generation or maybe a couple in common. And it's very interesting, in case our listeners aren't aware of this, one thing that I just learned uh, a few months ago is that this is the first time in history that there are five generations in the workforce at one time. And it's believed that that may not happen again, (laughs) you know, for like another umpteen number of years or whatever. So literally you could be on the same work unit, a work team as somebody twice your age and somebody half your age, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of cool, I think. Kind of interesting and cool. It is cool. Um, So let's all just share. What are each of our generation that we're each a part of? I'll, I'll go first. I am Gen X all the way. Nice. Gen X all the way for me. I'm a baby boomer. I'm on the tail end of that. Yeah, and I'm a millennial. Millennial? Okay. Proud. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of neat, right? And so in terms of the different generations that we represent, Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that, you know, I like about the generation conversations that we have, it's it's actually one of the only identities where we're kind of really focused on stereotyping the groups a little bit, right? In terms of how, as a large population, these various generations show up in the workplace. And in the DEI conversations, Aaron and I try to steer everybody away from stereotyping. (laughs) Right. Um, And so it's kind of neat that when we talk about generations, this is something that's, you know, forefront in terms of all the conversations that we have. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that from the two of you? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think this is one of the the things about talking about generations that really can divide us because there aren't a lot of other areas where we're giving ourselves permission to look at whole groups of people and assigning behaviors and ways of being. So that to me is always the challenge um, when talking about generations because I, I don't think that can possibly be true. Um, and so we have lots of different experiences within each generation that are quite different from each other based on a number of things. So I think that's really important to remember. And it's easy and fun to do kind of with generations. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I really have to work real hard at um, sort of opening those ideas up about a particular group of people based on which generation they're in. Yeah, Dane, just based off of what you just said, I'm having a thought. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think it's interesting 
because you said, right, it, it can sometimes be fun, right? The, there are these stereotypes that exist, as Aaron and Toral had said, right? We got five of these generations now in the workplace. And so it stands to reason, of course, that we're going to have certain stereotypes that pop out. I mean, you could play the classics, right? Okay, how do we help, you know, boomers open a PDF? How do we help millennials realize that they can't look at, you know, pictures of kittens on TikTok all day long and, um, right, we could go down the list. I think what's really cool, though, about Generations, as you said, Dane, is it can be fun to kind of dig into these stereotypes. And so in the DEI space, the stereotyping around Generations can almost be, I don't know if you feel like this, feel free to say if you don't, <laughs> um, almost more approachable or a little bit lower stakes in order to practice some of these things that you learn about in engaging with and navigating bias or stereotypes. Um, that can be one identity where it feels a little bit more approachable to make some missteps or mistakes and learn a little bit. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it does open the door for that learning to come in in a different way. That's a good point. I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that we can have more fun with it. We, there's more of a sense of humor, you know, around, oh, that's that generation, you <laughs> yeah. know. And so therefore, to your point, maybe that can help break down some of the uh, discomfort a little bit, you know, yeah. and, and make people feel a little bit more comfortable to then broach what you're, what you're also suggesting, which is, but is that really true of everybody? Let's right. think about that for a minute. Let's talk about that. Is that really fair to ascribe that to everybody after you've had a good laugh? Yeah. You know, over it, right? Yeah, exactly. It kind of makes you, it's a good space to be questioning those kinds of things. And it could open the door to the other ways that, you know, your stereotyping may get in the way exactly. of someone showing up. Mm -hmm. You know, I literally I just had this conversation with my daughter this weekend, and she asked me why I type on my phone with one hand. And she's like, Mom, like, like, why do you just do this with one hand? And I was like, because I don't know how to do this with two hands. Like, I, can't, I don't know how to do that, right? And so, you know, and um, I can just think of multiple examples that are coming through in, in my personal life. Yeah. And, of course, now, now I'm kind of switched gears to think about how this comes through in the work setting. Mm -hmm. And so in the work that the two of you do, how have you seen the different generations impact the work that you do? How do you change the trainings or the way you present, the types of trainings you bring to the Cornell uh, audience, how, do, how does that impact your work? Well, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it do, you, do you take a, hey, you know, some, some way or another, one size will fit all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what happens is you find this sweet spot where right. most people can engage around it, and then you have to engage on the outskirts of that when it isn't working for somebody and um, work with them to find a way to either shift the way that we're talking about something or bring them into the rationale for the way that we're talking about it. So it's dynamic. That's the, kind of the, the way that I, I think about it a little bit. And, you know, the workplace, I think these differences around the ways that we are can really show up in, in really negative spaces around um, what it's like to work with each other if we're not willing to open ourselves up to a, a different way of being or doing. Yeah, I completely agree, Dane. When I think about how we do our work, you know, there's this interesting transition that's happened over the course of the past, you know, I would say really decade or so, but ever since the pandemic really ratcheted up and this, this idea of online consultation, online facilitation and things of that nature. And, you know, one of the things that 
you know, you got to look out for is, you know, because we have all of these different generations in the workplace, there might be differing levels of comfort. I think about, you know, myself, you know, not super far removed from taking online classes in undergrad. And so when it came time to switch and go to Zoom and do all kinds of online things, I felt a certain level of comfort uh, because I had been exposed to that more recently, whereas some other people may not have had the opportunity to participate in something like online classes. So um, thinking about it from the perspective of experiences, I think, is is an interesting way to look at it. But yeah, I, I totally agree with Dane that there's a bit of a sweet spot and you want to make sure that you have a finger on the pulse of the needs of not just one generation, but of all generations. And I think that an even better way to say it is just have a finger on the pulse of the needs of all the human beings that might mm -hmm. be existing um, within a room. So I'm wondering, too, I, I like those examples, right? And I'm also thinking about how, you know, some of our older generations, when the pandemic happened, there's probably certain things that they were more familiar with in terms of, you know, global issues, global mm -hmm. crises, where maybe some of the younger generations, this was brand new, right? Mm -hmm. Never lived through something of this magnitude and that sort of thing. But aside from that, I guess I'm wondering, too, either in the work that you do or just for you, personally, being employees who have moved, you know, are moving through time and generations yourselves, you know, where, how have you seen some of those assumptions that we make <laughs> about generations kind of play out? Yeah, personally, I think one jumps right to the top of my head because it happened not long after I got my position. I was at like a family function and we had some family friends. One of the family friends, you know, was doing ODE work in a different space um, in another state. And he asked me, hey, Ari, what are you, you going to be doing? What, are, what kinds of things are you going to be doing at Cornell? And I said, oh, you know, right now I'm really engaged with leadership training. I'm doing a lot of consultation and facilitation. And he said, so let me get this straight. You just graduated college and I'm twice your age. I've been in my job as long as you've been alive and you're going to teach me about leadership? Oh <laughs> And I said, yeah, buckle up. Here we go. So, you know, it's just it's just a matter of, you know, I think it can be really easy in that particular arena to get a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, my goodness. Right. Like I am just freshly graduated. What am I going to do? But and this goes for all generations. Right. Being able to key into who you are as your authentic self and being able to have confidence in your own expertise and your own abilities can really cut across some of those differences. So that's an example from my own personal life. I think I'm doing okay so far. <laughs> I, think, I think you're doing great. Yeah, what a, what a lovely way to wish you luck on your, your yeah. own push. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Anyways, where's the potato salad? So I have a personal story too, and it just started happening actually, I would say in the last two years, um, showing up at a, a large setting where people from across the university were attending. And I obviously have had connections over the years with many, many people. And I sat down at the table with six or seven other people. And someone said, oh, Dane, hey, I, I thought you retired. Mm. And um, there's not been an announcement. There's yeah. not been, um, and it's not actually in my immediate plans. Uh -huh. um, so, And it's happened one other time since that. And I find it a little disheartening and unsettling because I work very hard to 
sort of be present in the work and and shift and change the way things are changing. Mm -hmm. And then when someone, that's sort of a, I don't know, it feels like you're really not valued anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's time for you to go. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt a little bit of that. Yeah. That's really unfortunate. And you're right. Like you said, there was no obvious information or clues that would ever lead somebody to assume that. It's just literally just going by the fact that you've been here a while. And to to be fair, I I think I've probably done that to other folks. Maybe not by asking them when they're going to retire, but thinking, wow, they really need to retire. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it can work both ways. Absolutely. (laughs) Because suddenly you're going to find your where I am, Ari. Yeah. <laughs> no time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and in Ari's story, I could totally at times is as I shared, you know, stories about my children relate to the gentleman that you were talking to because I I've, I've had those thoughts where I'm like, how are you gonna know? Yeah. Like you just you were just starting out, right? You have no idea what this is like. I can attest to the fact that I've had similar thoughts about <laughs> the younger generation. It happens. And I can also imagine that the younger generation who is having someone who's been around for thirty years in the workforce yeah. telling me how to do something, the question might be wow, are they teaching me like really old school ways of doing this? (laughs) Yeah. You know, are they valid? (laughs) I guess it does go both ways when you think about it. You know, we also make assumptions about what we think another generation doesn't know and needs to know. Exactly. uh, Rather than finding out first and asking. Yeah. One of the things I love about the work that we're doing in ODE is that our teams are definitely more uh, diverse in terms of generation. So we're not necessarily too heavy on one end or the other, but that we have a lot of different experiences that we're bringing into the work. That we oh do. my goodness, is that ever true? And I think, you know, we can joke about it all we want about, you know, the imposter syndrome or in my own experience, right, being being the youngest in that role. And I think this goes back to tapping into the strengths of everything that having multiple generations in a workforce can afford you. I think I'll be the first one to to say I've learned an unfathomable amount from all of my colleagues. I would not be here without them. And the value of being able to be a sponge in a space that is sharing multiple generations and tapping into the experiences and expertise of everybody around you is really just, you know, I view it as such an incredible luxury almost. I'm surrounded by eight people, nine if if I'm included, that just have an incredible wealth of experience and knowledge to be able to share. And you never know when you might be able to or want to tap into some of that. So it can be so, so incredibly cool. It can be, yeah. <laughs> you know, I I wonder sometimes, Ari, if the great experience that you all are having is the minority. Hence the luxury the part. Majority, right? yeah. So much so that, you know, the two of you actually have created a training yep. around the fact that people are working in an intergenerational workforce. And I, I, you know, I always say a training doesn't get created unless there was a problem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we, don't, we don't just go around creating trainings, right? There's yep. usually something is telling us, ooh, people need this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd love to hear more about, you know, what are some of those challenges that you two have seen or experienced or, or heard when you do that training? You know, what is getting in most people's way to be able to communicate and collaborate across generations? And then what do we do about that? Mm. Do we have an extra couple hours? <laughs> 
Dane, thoughts? Yeah, I I think one of the things that the frustration that I see emerging from doing some of these courses is when people get entrenched in one way of doing something. And that doesn't matter what generation you're in. I think it becomes a problem if you're doing it and you're not willing to sort of view and think about the way that someone else is doing the work or whose suggestion about how to do the work and just holding a space for evaluating whether that's going to work for us or not. Um, I think it's when we get hard and fast about the way that things are based on what we need. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I hear about younger generation is that they're not committed to their jobs, that they're going to be here for a year and move on. And I've been hearing that for a long time in the work that I've done with Sight, especially for many years. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, certainly, one of my daughters is quite intent on staying in her job um, and grow into retirement. And she's a millennial. And I know lots of folks who are at later stages in their career who stay for a couple of years and move on. And we've had examples of that here at Cornell. And so, again, that's not a hard and fast rule for anybody. We all have the capacity to decide when it's time to move on. And if it means that we can better our situation, then by all means, we should say, congratulations on your new job. Yeah. Yeah. It's really about encouraging human beings to do whatever they feel they need to do in order for them to, you know, experience joy in their lives, I think, and well-being in their lives. Um, you hit on pretty much everything, Dane, I think, and y'all said it, the key words, I think, are communication and collaboration and understanding that based on our experiences and the times that, you know, we were growing up, um, we might have different preferences in those kinds of communications. I might prefer to communicate through text message. Someone else might prefer to be communicated with, you know, verbally, um, I love a good phone call. I kind of bucked the trend with the millennial. <laughs> I I love a good phone. I can't remember the last time I left a voicemail though. Um, but <laughs> but I love a good phone call. Whether it's you know in the workplace, you know if Dane calls me up, I'd rather just talk to him on the phone if there's a question. Mm -hmm. But you know, understanding that we all have these different preferences. I think assumptions get in the way of us bridging some of those gaps in a lot of cases, um, making assumptions that yeah, millennials are just going to want to do a quick text message or baby boomers might want that phone call. It could be completely flipped. And unless you open up your space to be able to receive that kind of information, then, then you might never know. Um, so creating those bridges is really important. That's really been true in my life. I mean, I've had my daughters tell me to put my phone down and be present. <laughs> <laughs> Digital detox, Dane. Yeah, I'm I'm all about it now. I'm ready. Yeah, I like uh, a lot of what both of you said. You know, I, I love this idea of creating bridges and this, you know, communication. We have these stereotypes for a reason, right? <laughs> right. These, these are large populations. And, yeah. and so we've studied them enough to create some of these stereotypes. But I, what I hear, the point that both of you are making is that there are exceptions to every rule. And if we actually approach each individual as maybe they're the exception... Mm -hmm. That might lead to that better communication, better collaboration uh, within either, you know, with each other or even within the teamwork. Exactly. 
Um, and then the other aspect that I would like, you know, outside of the, the communication and collaboration, one thing that I've noticed, whether it's on memes and, you know, conversations, is that we're also seeing kind of the humor in all of these Absolutely. stereotypes with, with each other, right? And I think that might be also helping us to communicate better because now we're able to joke with each other about the stereotype that, you know, my generation might hold versus another generation, like, <laughs> like I mentioned with my children. Yeah. Um, sometimes the humor also helps and lead to better communication. Totally, Definitely. total. That, speaking of the humor, right, it reminds me of... Of, you know, one of the first times that I was giving a, a talk on generations in the workplace, I was doing it for New York State local roads. A bunch of people in this in this conference center. I was already nervous. <laughs> and, you know, I'm standing up there and I got up to talk and none of my tech worked. The PowerPoint wouldn't come up. It wouldn't advance the slides. I couldn't get audio or anything. And so I looked out into the audience and I just said, hey, you know what, whatever. All those things that you assume about millennials understanding technology, toss it out the window because this won't work. Um, (laughs) You know, Um, so just being able to kind of take a lighthearted approach to it sometimes within parameters, of course, you know, we don't want to be, you know, hurting anybody. But I think the humor Toro is incredibly important. I also think that recognizing that what you think you know could be completely inaccurate, right? And it reminded me of this one time a few years back um, when my husband and I went to church, and there was this little old man that, you know, always came. And there was this one time my husband and I volunteered as as greeters, right? Mm -hmm. We would greet people, and then we would say goodbye to people. There was this one time when he was just sort of lingering around, and we're like, is everything okay? And he said, my cab's not here. And we said, oh, dear, well, we can help. Like, well, you know, right away I start going into, you know, the mood of, oh, this little old man's going to need our help. And mm-hmm. and I said to my husband, I, you know, we have to do something. We have to offer him. And so my husband makes his way over and, you know, kind of is there for a minute with the gentleman. And then he comes back and I said, well, what are you doing? Aren't we going to take him home? And he said he just took out his cell phone, pressed an app, called an Uber driver, all things I don't know how to do. He's fine. <laughs> great example. He doesn't need us. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> a brilliant example. That's, it is a terrific example. You know, in the course that we're doing, we, we share definitions that are, you know, helpful. And um, one of the things it says about boomers, for example, boomers are passionately concerned about participation in the workplace, motivated by vision, mission, and strategy. And so how can we say that about every person, every boomer that walks in the door into the workplace? Not everyone is passionately concerned about participation in the workplace, right? And for millennials, you know, this generation is confident and not afraid to challenge the status quo. Um, That's a big statement to say for every millennial in the workplace, right? And I've seen that for sure, that that's not true on either side of the spectrum. Uh-huh. And I hear those things and I think, hello, you know, you just said stuff about both those generations that I think us as Gen X would say, well, that's us too. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm passionate. I challenge things. So it, it is a good point. Like, what is it? How do we get there that we yeah. think that this is all people of that generation and not anybody else? Yeah. 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 I think you just touched on a way to do that. It's really about understanding our similarities mm-hmm. and the things that we actually feel that are some of the same, that they're the same, start there um, as a way to move forward. Yeah. And there's this, there's this beautiful balance, I think that's really important is, you know, understanding our similarities and exploring those similarities. And then also exploring and honoring the different experiences that have brought 
each of these individual generations and the individuals that are part of those generations together in, into potentially one spot. Um, it can be really, really awesome. Well, I think that that's a good segue into something else I'd like to talk about, about experiences mm-hmm. and how we experience things yeah. uh, that might be influenced by our generations. And unfortunately, there's been a lot going on in our country over the last several years, right? You've got the pandemic, you've got, you know, really, really intense political disagreements, and uh, you have different identity-based groups that are just flat out being targeted. You know, the human rights are being really jeopardized, the civil rights are being jeopardized. All the while, probably largely because of a pandemic, but all the while you're seeing an increase in mental health struggles. And there aren't nearly enough therapists out there for the number of people that need them or that would like to have them in that way. So you've got all these different things that all these generations are going through at once, right? We're all experiencing these things, but I would argue that we probably are experiencing them in different ways. So I'm wondering in what ways you have seen this contributing to how we're understanding or communicating with each other, whether positively or negatively. Wow. And that was a big question. <laughs> Lots Nothing to like some about. layers, huh? You're right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I think one of the things that comes to mind for me is really understanding that while I may have more experience in my life with other ways of doing things, like showing up in a workplace before, we were really using email as a way. I was making phone calls and sending out mailings in my first five years of of work, right? And that's completely changed. But I would say that my stress levels, my anxiety has also gone up in the last 10 years. You know, steadily, I can almost mark it. And having to make decisions about how much exposure I have to news, how much exposure I have to things that um, really pull me out of my own presence and make me think about something else. And so it's a complex time that we're living in, I think, for everybody. And that's one way I I like to think about it. Um, And we may experience it differently, but it doesn't mean it's easy for one generation over another. And I would say that my own challenges around anxiety have gone way up in the last five years even. Um, and part of that is because of understanding what's happening to the environment with climate change and all of those things. And so as generations, I have an investment in this world being the best place for me to live in until it's time for me to go. Um, and I also think a lot about my granddaughter and what it's going to be like for her, you know, when she is 20 years from now. So um, there's a lot to think about. And I, I think this is the first time in history where we have access to so much information and not all of it is real. Um, the other part of it. So I think as human beings, I'll just put it that way. It's just a challenge all around. Yeah. I think being plugged in constantly, which we are at this, at this point in time, um, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Like Dane said, you know, you, you have to be conscientious of how much you're taking in and what you're taking in generationally, it's easy for us, you know, play those stereotypes, right? It's easy for us to say, okay, millennials and Gen Zs, they're super, you know, plugged in and boomers and Gen X and, you know, the traditionalists might not be as plugged in. But I'll tell you what, I get messages from the Apple News app from my grandma almost every single day. And so the flip side of that, though, is yes, it can be a way that we experience it differently, but it also offers up this vehicle for some radical collaboration and info sharing across those kinds of generations. And I think one of the things I remember asking a lot 
when the pandemic first hit is I went to the people who have more experience in life than me, whether it was my colleagues, my my mom, my grandparents, and just saying countless times, have you ever experienced anything like this? You know, what is this? <laughs> um, what did y'all do? What, you know, what was the situation? And for some people, like my grandparents, there was, yeah, you know, there's a couple times we've faced something like this, but largely, you know, in talking like with my mom, it was, no, I'm in the same boat as you right now, man. <laughs> what is going on? So it's really, really interesting. I think if I were to give advice to the upcoming generations in situations where you're looking at a global, on a global level, what's going on, the political climate, the social climate, everything, it would be to listen and to ask questions of those people who have kind of come before you. Um, and I think that does a great deal of, of trust building between generations when you can kind of have that dynamic. So it's not all just on one generation to open the door for that though. So, um, yeah. When we talk about generations, we talk about differences, right? Within all of these different. Yeah. And yet all of the things that we're experiencing right now, whether it's the pandemic, the, uh, the political differences, you know, war, violence, we're all going through that together. Even though we're all going to experience it differently based on our generation, mm -hmm. it's something that we have in common because we're experiencing it all mm -hmm. together. And so maybe that is the bind that kind of helps tie us together as we move forward as one large group versus the different generations. Yeah, Toro, that, that's that's a really good point. And I think, you know, just to take that thread a little bit further, I think a conversation that has come up a few times in the class that Dane and I run, you know, we do this activity where, you know, we make it clear that here are the date ranges that, you know, the research tells us a generation is. And you might not identify with that particular generation. You might identify with characteristics that are more quote-unquote, typical of a different generation. And when we bring people back, what I hear from a lot of the younger generations when we talk about these life experiences is almost like this desensitization to stuff. You know, as we're growing up, fourth grade when 9-11 happened, and then a couple years after that was the recession, and then we watched our parents scramble to kind of pull everything together and protect us from this outside world or you know, I use protect us loosely because it's hard to do that as a parent. Um, and so there's kind of like this sense of just rolling with the punches for a lot of younger generations, which can be really interesting. And then you open up the floor and, you know, all of the, you know, Gen Xers and the baby boomers and the traditionalists also can talk about similar experiences but different situations that have kind of led them to that just because of the recency bias a little bit um you know the things that happened in the early 2000s when millennials were kind of coming of age um they're really fresh i think about the way that we all have to manage and deal with something we may have some experience from the past that helps us now and we're still all dealing with something that's that's brand new. Um, and certainly the pandemic was an example of that. You know, shutting down the world for two weeks, I've never seen happen before. And I, maybe pockets of the world, but not, you know, not the way that it manifested in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're all trying to figure out how to how to manage that. And I think one of the things that I remember so palpably about that is you know, trying to get my family together in close proximity and decide how we're going to do this. And we decided that we were going to go through quarantine together. Yeah. And so 
people left where they were living for a short period of time, and we all moved in together to try and strategize about how to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really interesting, and the challenges just keep coming. I mean, that's that's the <laughs> other thing. I, I just saw an article in the New York Times about Gen Z and how more than ever they are either not moving out or they're moving back in. Mm-hmm. And so what that tells me is that we're getting back to this idea of multi-generations in a household, which we used to do all the time, <laughs> right? Right. And so now that's happening again. It's happening maybe for different reasons, mm-hmm. but it is a dynamic that's coming back around um, where multiple generations are living in a house because it's easier to survive and be that way. And I'll add that that is also a very American concept, right? Yeah. Because there are parts of the the world today that live in multi-generation households. I mean, so I, true. I speak from my own example, and I've shared this with our audience before, that in India, where I grew, where I was born and, and raised for a little while, it's um, we had one house mm-hmm. for my dad and his two brothers and their entire families that go. And, and it's very similar with the way my husband grew up. And so we still live that way. Yep. Toro, that's a really good example of how there's so much intersectionality between all of this yeah that's just what i was gonna say all right like any identity it's easy to drill down and think of somebody only as that identity and we miss that there's all these other factors that are going to influence how we experience things you know and certainly cultures and ethnicities and it's a really good example of something Mm -hmm. that is going to but you know at the same time i think about when i hear dean say that that for some of our societies moving back to a multi-generational household i kind of think about well that actually is really a nice way to think about us understanding and appreciating one another better than maybe we have. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, you're going to understand different cultures that, who have always done that, right? It, it sort of is a way of bridging that that trust a little bit. And uh, You said that earlier, and I really liked it. Uh, you said, you know, how we need more trust building yeah. across generations, that that is a big way to try to address some of these challenges, taking the time to ask questions. And I would argue, and then also listen to the answers. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? I mean, because yes. I think that's another problem that I'm seeing a lot, is that we all have a lot of things that we want to say and ask, but we don't really want to hear the answer. We just want to say what we think. You yeah. know, here's what I think, you know, about that. So really taking the time to ask more questions and really listen to the answers and bring back some of that trust, because I, I do think there's been a bit of an erosion of trust among our humanity. As you said earlier, Ari, lots of layers, definitely (laughs) lots of layers, and generations are tied up in it. One of the ways that I like to think about it is that no one generation can solve the problem by themselves, right? That's something that I sort of believe. It's going to take all of us to figure out. And that can come from any generation, Mm -hmm. right? New ideas, possibility. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to communicate and listen. And I think that one of the most interesting things about this whole discussion, you know, on a a global level, I think that a lot of people, again, a little bit of recency bias, a lot of people saying, oh, you know, we've never seen as much generational tension as now as as we have. But y'all, we've been doing this for a really, really long time. Um, One of the things that Dane and I bring into our program is we put this quote up, this quote, and I I can read the quote here. Um, 
And it says, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, disrespect for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in the place of hard work. Children are now tyrants. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They disobey their parents. They misbehave in front of company and torment their teachers. And then we open the floor and ask people to say, okay, when, you know, when do you think this quote was written? And we get a lot of, you know, like, 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe the 70s. And then we reveal to everybody that's an actually a, a quote from Socrates um, in 400 BC. So we've done all this before, right? <laughs> and yesterday is it also an answer we can like, And yesterday. yesterday. Right. So, you know, we've been we've been doing this dance for a while. I just said half those things the other day, looking at it. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like I was born an 80-year-old woman, you know? I, just, I say that kind of stuff all the time. Exactly. Yeah, you know, to think that, that, you know, yeah, to think back in 400 B.C. Yep, that yep. Being, wow. You know, this whole conversation, I've been thinking about this, like, kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, all the research that we've done and, and all the things that we've talked about today in terms of the different generations, we have to re- remember that that research is based off of possibly like U.S. or westernized data mm-hmm. because when you take kind of the similar type of research from different countries or different parts of the world, they don't the generations don't reflect the same way. Absolutely. Um, and so it's something that, I, you know, as we talk about the intersectionalities and, and all the different things that come into this conversation. I just wanted to kind of remember that because I've always said like, oh, like, where does my culture fit into all of this? Yes. Right? Because my culture impacts the way I behave. Uh, and I know we just talked about this. The quote that you just read off, um, Ari, the one piece that sticks with me is, oh, children don't get up anymore when elders walk into the right. room. And I've shared this story multiple times as if my dad growing up, if my dad had ever wanted me to do something, he would just start doing it himself. Knowing <laughs> that because as part of our culture, I couldn't let somebody older than me work while I sit. Yeah. And do absolutely nothing. That is something that's so ingrained in the way we approach everything. Right. And so as soon as he, if he wanted the house vacuumed, he'd just get the vacuum out and start doing it. And it's just like, because you know, he knows that I wouldn't let him just do that. And so so there are different components that, that impact this data. Absolutely. Just keeping that in mind, mm-hmm. too. As, and all of this comes into workplace as well, not just in our personal lives, but into the workplace. Yeah. When my mom and dad got out the vacuum, I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. You want me to move? Yeah. <laughs> lift, I could watch TV and Lift your room. feet up. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, I got to get up, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's completely different. That's too funny. That is funny. Or you sort of have said this a couple of times, and I and I think it's a, a good thing to go back to. And that is the, again, it's always easier to focus on the differences. Right. But we're missing the strengths. Mm-hmm. Right? And we all know that, yeah, we can learn a lot from people who are older than us, who have been doing things a long time, right? That sort of thing. And so here we have this moment in time mm-hmm. where you have all these generations together in the workplace. It's like... I do wonder, are we missing some real opportunities to capitalize on that? So I say all that to say is, how can we be better at recognizing all the power that we have harnessed, right? I mean, it really is. It's a lot of knowledge and power that's being harnessed in one place. And what could we be doing to better capitalize on that? Great question. I think that first what I would say is being intentional. Um, being intentional about the connections that you're making. You know, one of the great things that we have going here at Cornell is the mentorship program. And so being willing to get involved in that and seek people out who have different experiences than you do can be really beneficial. That's a really simple answer. <laughs> no, but, but and, not but and. Yeah. I want more people who can be mentors. Right. 
to step up and say, yeah, I could be a mentor. I yeah. could do this. And again, help maybe fight their own imposter syndrome of thinking that just everybody just wants them out. Right. <laughs> just wants them to move on right. and instead realize, no, I have something to offer. And this is a way I could be offering it. Yeah. And, and I think, Aaron, what's really, really cool about that is that you could be 23 years old and be mentoring somebody who is, you know, in their 50s. You could be 50 yep. years old and mentoring somebody That's who right. is in their 20s. So it really cuts across those bridges there. I love that example. And the other thing that's true is research tells us that diverse teams are more successful. And so I think generational differences Mm -hmm. is a part of diversity, right? And so we're talking about the more diverse a team is actually the the more successful we can become because of all the different things that we're bringing to the table. It's how we react and engage with each other that makes us successful or yeah. not. Something that's coming up for me is when we when we do the course that um, there's this quiz you can take. It really helps you identify with which generation you identify with most. Mm-hmm. And I really find that fascinating because a lot of people find out that the generation that they actually identify with is not the one that they're in. Uh-huh. And uh, when I took it, I actually identify with millennials more than I do with baby really? boomers. Yes. Yeah. That's why we're such good buddies. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I, and I say that I'm, I'm actually so glad you brought that up because I'll be honest and tell you that I was born into the very end of Gen X. Yeah. However, like by the time I moved to the U.S., I was about, you know, eight or nine years old, which puts me right into the Gen Y population. Mm-hmm. So all of my... I don't want to say Americanness mm-hmm. or every all of the the culture that I developed here comes from Gen Y, yeah. Versus the X, where I was actually born into, if if that makes sense. And so I agree with you, Dane, that I also identify with a whole different generation than the one that I was born into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all for me has to do with when I moved to the U.S. and when I, you know, picked up the American culture and kind of made that my own. And so the culture that I picked up is the one that was much when I was much older. Um, and so I didn't pick up some of those cultural components. And so, yeah, I agree with you that you can identify as a completely different generation than the one you're born what in. What generation is the 80-year-old woman in? <laughs> <laughs> no, really, what generation? The, the silent generation are traditionalists. Traditionalists or silent. Or silent. <laughs> you're like, darn it, I need a new name. I need to look that one up more. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, the other thing that I think we forget to think about is, is also even in the United States regionally right. impacts the way we view generations, right? There are different ways of being around generations depending on where you live regionally. Yeah. Your gender impacts that as well. Yep. Yeah. Even yeah. just your placement in the family. Yes. Yep. Right. That, right. Whether you're the oldest or the youngest. Mm-hmm. You know? That's yeah. why I'm glad, Dean, that you, you made that very good point about diversity and the fact that generational differences is a huge form of diversity. Really, I think what we're talking about is life experience. <laughs> yep, yep. And right, generational yeah. differences is, is one area where there could be a lot of diversity in your life experiences. Mm-hmm. So. I guess for me, the one of the things that I, I think about when we do the class and I challenge myself to do is really not putting people in the box that they're born in from a generational perspective or any other kind. Because if we give our permission, ourselves permissions to do that, we're going to do it in other ways too. Exactly. And, um, and it's just easier for some reason with generations. Like you said, it feels like the stakes are a little less Yeah, high. a little lower. Yeah, a little lower. There's a couple more funny memes to bust out on that one. 
Well, and I think what's ironic, I think, when I hear you guys talk about that training that you do is that I could imagine me, speaking for myself, I'm going to go into that training to figure out how can I work better with, you know, how can I make them get me better? But I think what probably ends up happening is that you develop a lot of Mm self-awareness, too, right? A lot of self-awareness at realizing maybe how, again, how you're boxing yourself in and how you're boxing other people in. Yeah. um, That isn't doing any of us any favors. We talk about these kinds of concepts in all DEI conversations that we've ever had, right? Idea that we always talk about differences. Yeah. And yet, as human beings, we actually have so many more things oh, in common yeah. and similarities with <laughs> each other than, than we think. And so the idea of, of actually communicating through those differences mm-hmm. and, and finding those commonalities, I think, goes a long way. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing that happens when we're willing to do that, Toro. We have to see each other as human with needs and wants, just like I have needs and wants and identify there. Yeah. Well, Dean, I, for one, am glad you have not retired yet. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) And Ari, I'm glad that you are, you know, doing leadership training because you are a natural leader. Oh, thank you. And you could tell your uncle or whoever it was I said so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you both for your time today and for the great conversation. Oh, absolutely. It's been fun. Thank you. Toil, that was really fun. It was. I really like talking about that kind of stuff. Like I said, when we started, I did not know that until like a few months ago when I was at a conference and somebody presented on the topic and it was just sort of hit me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All these generations are here at once. And what does that mean? Yeah. Right? What, how is that playing out? And what's that about? So, and then I saw that they created a training. Yeah. <laughs> you know, an actual workshop. So that just shows you how prevalent the topic is, whether people realize it or not. Like how much that might be influencing how we work, how we communicate. And we might not even realize that that's the thing that is sort of showing up yeah. in ways that we're not even realizing. And I'll tell you that I've actually been a part of these conversations for a very long time now because, you know, this actually comes from when I was in in recruiting Mm -hmm. uh, and really coming from the hiring perspective uh, is this idea that the baby boomer generation was getting ready to leave the workforce over the next 10 years Mm -hmm. or so. And from a recruiting standpoint, the conversation was always around the idea that this is a large population leaving the workforce and we didn't have as equally of a large population to fill all the positions that were going to be vacant, right? Those are some of the things that we're experiencing and we have been experiencing over the past, you know, 5, 10, 15 Mm -hmm. years. And so I will say that I've been, you know, in some form of this conversation for quite a while Mm -hmm. now. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of glad that we were able to actually bring this up in in a podcast because we've never actually addressed that uh, from a DEI standpoint. Well, and I think that I appreciate you saying that, that this has been a prevalent thing in the recruiting world and HR world for a long time. And what I think the conversation today showed us, though, is that maybe some of the human (laughs) aspects of that understandable need, you know, to be prepared and to do better succession planning and that sort of thing, that maybe an unintended consequence, though, is maybe then some of the messages that our older workforce is getting. Correct. Um, And I I liked when Ari made the, or maybe it was Dane, made the point, and he's right, that there is also... So there's sort of two things happening. There's this assumption that, you know, when people hit a certain age, they, of course, should be moving on. Right. But then there's also is now this assumption that younger professionals aren't going to stick around, which I just think is so ironic, right, is that we have actually a similar assumption about either ends of the spectrum that are are unfair and, and inaccurate. And if you're a younger professional... 
why wouldn't you think that? You're almost being told you should be leaving after just a couple of years instead of investing in your staying. Right, because that's what generation training is telling you, right? right? right. That your generation only stays for a couple exactly. of years. And so maybe we, that should be a norm that you should develop. Right, yeah. and then, the, you know, baby boomers, the silence, are sort of, of course, going to start thinking, well, maybe I am supposed to move along. Yeah. Neither of those are good things for the workplace. Yeah. That many people leaving are getting the impression that they should leave all at once. And I will, I will share, and, you know, without going into too much detail about some of the survey data that we've gotten back at Cornell, um, we, we did one from a, a DEI perspective a, a few years ago, right before the pandemic, and age was a number one component across the board at the university that came through. Mm-hmm. And to your exact point that you just made, it's from both spectrums, yeah. right? So people that felt that they were marginalized based off of their age, if they felt that they were on in the older generation population with this idea that maybe they were getting messages that they needed to move move on yeah. to a retirement perspective, uh-huh. right, from, from that perspective. And then the, then the younger generation also saying, hey, they are also being marginalized, right, yeah. for the same idea that yeah. because of their age mm-hmm. uh, from a ho- completely different perspective. Right. So age was number one across right. the board within that survey. Right. So it's kind of great that we now have a training to help kind of talk through some of these differences mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. come through. Yeah, and, and to start really calling out some of these assumptions and messages a little bit more and really naming the negative consequences that right. that has, not only on individuals, but like I said, your whole organization. Cornell's not really that much different than a lot of other employers in that we have to pay attention to the fact that people are leaving and that, you know, we're not filling positions as quickly as we used to. Right. right? And so, yeah, all the effort then ends up going to recruiting And perhaps we need to be placing just as much energy into how we are developing the people that are already here. And not just developing in terms of giving them skills to grow, although that is important, but also developing them in a way that their value is being recognized, that their experiences are being utilized. You know, actually really, again, to use that word I used before, capitalizing much more than we are on the people that are here. Yeah. Dean made an amazing point that the the differences and all the different diversity that we bring to the table actually is a huge benefit for the organization, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if we take experiences from the younger generation as well as experiences from the older and all of us in the middle, right? right. Like right. Right. all of the different perspectives that we actually bring to the table, it's, it's a good thing for Cornell. Yeah. And good thing for any organization to have. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's problem solving. Right. You, you're going to solve your bigger problems a lot better and a lot more um, creatively <laughs> if you do have all those different perspectives. You know, asking a, a bunch of people who are of the same generation as you, the same job title, whatever, the same level, to try to solve a problem that you can't solve, well, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How are they going to come up with anything different right. than what you come up with? Exactly. Right? You need exactly. to bring a bunch of people to that table that do represent other generations, other levels of experience and access if you have any shot at at solving some of your bigger problems. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we started the conversation by saying, like, this is the only, this is one of the only identities that allows you to put people in boxes. Yeah. And Ari made a couple of great points about uh, the idea of communicating, collaborating, and, like, really listening to each other, right? Like, those yeah. are some ways that we can get out of those boxes mm-hmm. and get each other out of those boxes. And then that leads to a much better organization mm-hmm. as a whole. 
Yeah, I mean, I really, it, it really did hit me when he said we need to be doing a lot more trust building. Yes. And that is true. I think the root of a lot of problems today lie in an eroded trust. Mm-hmm. And who knows what caused it? Could be influences of media, yeah. you know, influences of the pandemic, whatever it is, but certainly political discourse. Yeah. You don't exactly have a lot of good role models right now, right, right. you know, who are, who are, again, reaching across that aisle. So... It's on us to really think about, like he said, are we being intentional at connecting with people and trying to, to build that trust? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great way to kind of end this podcast is, is to leave people with the idea of, of being intentional with each other mm-hmm. and for the organization, right? And that, that'll just lead to a, us as a, as a better group, a more cohesive team. Uh, the product that we put out will be so much better as an organization and we'll be able to support each other a lot better. And for the love of Cornell, quit asking somebody when they're going to retire (laughs) or asking a younger professional, hey, where are you going to go next? Stop. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you, Toil. Thank you, Boot. Thank you, everyone. And thank you to Dean and Ari. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners to find us and the show. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Erin Sumber-Chase. And my name is Toral Patel. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound amazing each and every episode. Thanks, Bert.